Welcome, book lovers, for another Adapted here on Book Circle Online. Today, we talk about the afterlife as we discuss what dreams may come, both the book and the movie. So stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's been another four weeks since the show. Marissa, Serafini, and I, Phil Svitek, we have finished another book, and we are here to talk about it, as well as the movie. Welcome, Marissa. Welcome, Phil. We are back. I'm excited. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the we'll we'll dissect a lot of it as far as we'll we'll start primarily with the book, then we'll get into the movie, which stars the late great Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. So a lot of reasons um, to get excited in terms of the discussion, and we'll obviously do comparisons between the book and the movie. Now, what's what's nice is that this is a singular book and a singular movie. Sometimes. You know, we've done books where it's had multiple movies, multiple. so we get to stay pretty, pretty well focused. Um, but as always, let's kind of kick it off. Uh, Marissa, what did you think overall of the book and the movie? Well, so I I had watched the film years ago. I was like a young teenager, probably like 13, 14, 15, like early teens. And I just remember it being trippy. <laughs> that's it. I was just like a lot of color, it being in a weird ethereal area, and that's all I remembered and then reading the book i was like it as an adult reading it i really understood the themes and just the universal aspects of it and the different types of beliefs and i appreciated the different perspectives and how people approach death and what happens afterwards and i and i liked how it was the book was kind of an amalgamation of all these different beliefs and then watching the film how it was translated visually from the book to the film also just yet another creative take on what happens after death uh the i have to say i loved the book way more than it did the movie interesting there we're gonna get into when we talk about it but the two are relatively different and how they handle things and, and whatnot the spirit is i would say the same but uh their execution is quite different and i think um for a number of reasons which we'll get into as far as the book Number one, I thought it was more like it's a very good philosophical read, maybe less than an actual, you know, for lack of a better term, action novel. Oh, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of philosophical talk that happens, less so of like plot development. Right. And I appreciate it. There was a more humanistic type of storyline compared to a supernatural or underlying natural order of everything and like i love how the through line with the book and the movie was really about a relationship between a man and a woman and how strong it is during life after life and and i liked that was the the one narration that was still consistent from both absolutely and you know one of the things is when i first opened this book a couple things took me by the surprise number one uh richard matheson who wrote the book uh, and we'll give a little context to him in just a couple of seconds. He, he opens it up with, I've never had to write an introduction from any of my books, but in this one I felt I needed to. Uh, all of this stuff is real just with, ma- with different, with made-up characters. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I look at the back. This thing's got like eight, maybe ten pages of just research as far as like sources. I'm like, damn. So many. I mean, he did a lot of research. And 
props to him because you can definitely tell in the book that there are so many different beliefs all playing together in one. So like if you're one religion or one denomination or just one type of race, you can see the the little you know teardrop elements of each. How it all still seemingly kind of works together. Yeah, and you, you know, starting at that base level, uh, I appreciated it very much because at no point did it say one thing was better than the other. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of treated every religion and, and all viewpoints pretty fairly. Um, and what I liked that there were levels, and I don't know, it, it had a very romantic viewpoint of it all. And uh, as far as the afterlife and what it means, and I actually appreciated that a lot. And that's why, to me, like the book, I I appreciated just from that standpoint. And, you know, the plot almost, for me, got in the way at some points. <laughs> well, I, I do like the, the idealistic settings of what happens afterwards, the afterlife, and how it all just kind of bleeds together. Like you said, um, no disrespect to one another, and it's kind of like just life now. We're all different in real life, and yet we still have to coexist within each other. And you see th- those elements in just the the ideas of what happens to Chris Nielsen, the the main character, after he dies. Absolutely, and as far as the you know Richard, he's at this point written a number of books. You know, at the time that he finished this one, this was about uh, seventy eight, um, and you know, the, the, forty years ago, forty years ago, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> forty years, uh, but. It, he the the thing that I know him most for is having uh, done the Omega Man or uh, um, the Last Man. Uh, or the, I know I am Legend. I am Legend. That's it. Yes. So, so yeah, uh, uh, I am Legend was the name of the book, and then it got Charlton Heston was in the Omega Man, but then it was also remade as as I am Legend with Will Smith. So that's mm-hmm. been adapted a couple of times, and he's had other books adapted as well, and this being one of them too. Right, and Richard Matheson, uh, so he was born in 1926, uh, grew up in New Jersey, and um, from Norwegian parents, which is interesting. But he actually watched the movie Dracula when he was a kid, and it made him think, uh, if one vampire is scary, how about a whole world full of vampires? And that was kind of the the gestation of I Am Legend, which is a man isolated by himself in a world full of vampires so and a lot of matheson's books had that same type of theme of one person either a man or a woman alone in a world and and trying to figure out his environment alone in a certain type of environment and we got that in what dreams may come we get chris nielsen kind of somewhat alone but still figuring out what's happening in summerland so it has the the isolated person in a new environment yeah and he set up the rules fairly well as far as that. Uh, the one thing that, after I read his introduction, then I started getting into the book, and, and the thing that threw me off, it was like, um, it opens up with essentially a letter, and, you know, I first got my hands on this book, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I had to, it took me a moment, uh, if I'm being honest, to differentiate, wait, that's the start of the novel that's no longer just an introduction about the book. Right. And it kind of goes hand in hand, Rick, because, like, even at the end of the book, it, it kind of bookends, really, um, like, just the the whole idea that we see throughout the whole book, like the passing on from one story to the next story to the next story. Absolutely. You know, it it, it, it 
comes cyclical in that way and it tells the importance of sharing each other's stories like i think that's maybe not the primary theme but but the idea of connectedness with everyone else Mm -hmm. um you know in fact in the book it often talks about like well if you if you think about them and uh you know you want to get to them you can get to them right away um and it's something that you know in real life i think a lot of people if asked they would say like yeah i don't get to spend enough time with the people that i want to or or so forth right um so that's a again very powerful imagery that he was able to put in Right, and and I liked how that was an establishment because time, and I think they also did it kind of well in the film too. But time is one of the only things you can visually see. Um, you, you can't see it in real life, but if it's like explained in a book or in a movie, you can actually understand the concept of going back and forth, and just the idea of you can make anything happen and materialize things out of your own thoughts and change actions out of your own thoughts and change other people's out of the mere thought. And I like that concept because so many people want to do that in real life. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you can do it in your afterlife, hey, that's that's something to look forward to. Yeah, and, you know, even, even the title, What Dreams May Come, is uh, very apropos, and, and even more so it comes from Hamlet, um, of course, by Shakespeare, and, you know, What Dreams May Come is is derived from from that play. Um Act three, scene one, for all those literary people. Speaking of which, uh, if you're interested, we do have our rundown in the description box. That way you can get all of our notes in case we don't you know, get to them necessarily. Um, another literally interesting technique that I thought worked quite well was, number one, all of his chapters ended on cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. And the, each chapter was titled based on what the cliffhanger was. And I... The, eight, I don't know how much thought he actually took to be able to put that together and to have interesting titles. Because every chapter, if you just looked at it on the surface, had a very interesting and telling title. And and then when you get to it by the end, it takes on a different meaning. And you're like, oh. Right. And I like the, the titling of his chapters because, yes, it was a cliffhanger, but also it establishes the next place that he's going to. Summerland, Hell Within Hells, The Floor of Hell. So... Also, visually, just the reader gets an understanding of physically where he is within the different realms he's traveling. Then it creates, you know, they often talk about it, uh, dramatic irony. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so when I'm talking about, like, I wasn't expecting that place, but I was expecting something. So it, it already, just the title itself builds this tension in you rather than just calling it chapter 12. Right. And no, it's like, no, you're in hell now. <laughs> yeah. Hell Get within hell within it. hell. Hells within hells. Um, what I thought was interesting in the book there was such a heavy focus on Anne in the book as far as he was chris uh the the protagonist who goes to the afterlife he's never really concerned with his kids um because he feels like they'll be okay but it's Anne who um needs him essentially yeah i mean because you see in the the first like hundreds of pages uh, of this book is that he he's more focused on Anne because, like you said, the, the, the kids are like don't really have a problem right now in life. Anne is the one who's grieving. Anne's the one who's like, uh, taking on uh, the responsibilities of being the, a single parent, losing a husband, being a widow. So, and, and, and I think that's just also they, were, they are soulmates. So, of course, Chris is going to be more upset and more worried about Anne because you see the situations where he's just only trying to communicate to Anne 
individually, not his kids. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, if I had one, the the biggest nitpick for me with the book is when he is going from Summerland to her purgatory, essentially. Um, you know, every time we go through another location in search for her. It, it was tough for me because at every point until we got to her, it was like, oh, it's going to be worse. It's it, more worse than you can even imagine. And it's hard because in that sense, I am imagining something worse. And then what ends up happening? I'm like, oh, OK, well, maybe nah, it's not as bad. But also the book, like they foreshadow because these realms are created within their own imagination. His Chris's imagination is far way more subtle than than Anne's and Anne's also in a different location so it, it really leaves up to the uh it, whatever you can imagine makes it more s- scary in a way but also we have so many just from popular culture and, and books and stuff and like we as an audience already had this pre-existing thought of what hell looks like and and the tortures you go once you're in hell so when Chris goes there he's like nah, this is just Anne's version of hell but knowing that you can manipulate other people's thoughts you're like where is this gonna go yeah yeah i thought i thought that worked really well because then once he started explaining at that point the book had done enough good of a job to explain what their relationship was like what her happiness looked like and for her to live in a decrepit house where everything was just falling and and they did a really nice job of setting that up as that's her reality like she really believed that, um, so I, I I thought that worked really well. And the other thing that I thought worked extremely well was was Albert. The way they explained the realms and the rules, um, and even going to you know the location where they kind of set up when is she gonna die and 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 so forth. Like having these whatever for lack of a better term government buildings, <laughs> right? I thought I thought that worked well. Yeah, I, okay. So, so that was probably my biggest conniption with this book, um, and they didn't really explain it all that much in the movie. But in the book, they tried to really explain all the different rules and and the silver cords going from life and spirit life to the physical ethereal body, and you're just trying to think of how is one connected if it's not connected, um, and just the establishment of the different rules between Summerlin with like traveling by thought manipulating other people's thoughts and the whole difference between uh, a natural death compared to a suicide, which is like an un... You can't say unforeseen death, but a death that was manipulated by the actual person. And there's different rules within that. So uh, it's just the, the rule establishment was very convoluted. It was hard to actually understand. There, there was always It always seemed like there was a technicality somewhere. Well, the one th- as far as technicalities, the thing that I thought did not work as well for the book was this notion that okay, she's going to stay in purgatory for basically a quarter of a century, right? Twenty five years, give or yeah. take, and then she'll finally be brought to Summerland. And I get and appreciate his notion of not wanting Anne to be in twenty five years of purgatory, but it's eventually she'll eternity. Yeah, and. Whereas in the in the movie, one of the biggest changes is that like that's where she is, and he's there to get her out. Otherwise, she is there for eternity. Right. Um, I did like that, and I liked how that he loved her so much that he was willing to risk risk his own soul 
also being sucked into hell because he he already had a past somewhat he he skipped hell um but to to go to literally the depths of hell to bring out his own wife good for him i mean that that's a romantic man in my opinion so like i i I did enjoy that aspect of his character but also just the rules i i had to just be like okay accept it it's because they established this rule that she's stuck there because of her own volition of killing herself with suicide but yet it's okay because she's stuck there if you can get her out she can stay in summerland people are okay with that too yeah, it's t- yeah, yeah. It would be very tough for me to explain, but the but the basic notion, as the book puts it, is that she's there and she can get out, but her own mind is preventing her. Now, how in the next twenty five years, all of a sudden we hit this deadline, that's going to go away? Right. I that part of it, I don't think was ever answered. Is it kind of like you're in debt, and if you can't pay it off in twenty five years, it's forgiven? Is it like the same concept of that? I guess maybe. Maybe. And I, like, I mean, I just wanted to know, like, after that twenty-four year mark is up, does she automatically just get sent to Summerland? That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. Part of it is we're talking about things we literally can't imagine. <laughs> so it's already going to be a difficult task for anyone, let alone Richard Matheson, despite being, uh, you know, an accomplished writer. So. Yeah, I I always had a better answer for you. Yeah. I admittedly I did like the enjoy reading the journey of what Chris went through when he kept going into the different phases of hell and the the actual journey of him getting to his wife. I thought it was cool. It was cool to read visually. Also in the movie, also very scary. Like okay, it felt like Paradise Lost and that's also a great story. Yeah, and you know, as one of the things uh thankfully uh, that didn't happen in the book t- um, for the entire run was he's recounting the story to a medium to his brother and very early on it's like no that's not the right word I said this I said this and it's literally written out in the pages mm-hmm. and I, I, thankfully like as far as the visuals that we're talking about and maybe you know now as I'm talking it out loud if there's any discrepancy about the rules and things like that maybe it's just literally lost in translation <laughs> And it's a nice, like, you know, um, thing to fall back on. I mean, it's true, but also maybe it just establishes that the rules aren't really set in place yet. It's not fully fleshed out that if it didn't work out, there's really no result to it. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like cheating in a way. In a way, but it's also like, imagine if you'd never seen fire and all you ever saw was darkness and I was trying to explain to you what fire was and you can't even speak english uh, <laughs> so it's like it's moot really? <laughs> yeah okay. um all right so let's let's talk about the the movie um i figure a simple sort of way to get into it is let's start with the the changes in the book there's four kids and as i mentioned he's chris all alive all alive he's all not as concerned with them in the movie two kids Boom, they go before Chris. Then boom, Chris goes. So I could see why Anne would probably want to kill herself. Yeah, and I was talking to someone else earlier today. I was like, I understand for the film adaptation uh, so much better why Anne is in such a dark, depressed state because she lost her entire family. 
that's enough for her to realize I have no purpose of life to to live anymore. That I understood just from a character building aspect. In the book, though, uh, like it, it just makes Anne's character. It's she's so much stronger as an individual person in the book and in the movie. She just is not helpless but alone. She's alone, you know, one of the things, as far as, it's a weird portrayal, like, I understood it from a character perspective, like, her whole world was shattered, mm-hmm. um, and yet, just even the way we meet Anne, she's this kind of klutz, and I would have appreciated her to not be, you know, as much of a klutz and more, like, the two of them really are soulmates. Mm-hmm. That was my that was my gripe with the movie portrayal. Right, and in the movie, the, like there's a whole aspect of the relationship was on the rocks. They they threw around divorce here and there because of, and went into a place of such darkness and and loneliness and depression. And we understand that. I mean, I'm not a parent. I don't know what it feels like to lose a child. So like, I can't imagine the grief that she was going through. Um, that also helps just for the character narration of, of Anne. But also, she was hard to watch in the film because she was so, I don't want to keep saying helpless, but there, there was nothing for her. There's no reason for her to live anymore. I mean, she, she just gave up. She did. Um, she, you are 100% right as far as that. And, um, you know, as far as Chris and the, the switch with him, in the book, he's, uh, he's a screenwriter. In this, he's a doctor. And so it... it, it he kind of has a, just by definition of occupation, he has a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, also, like, a, another morality purpose, too. Doctors are known to help each other. Like, he, it establishes that he helps others, and that, therefore, um, it makes it more believable when he's in Summerland and he wants to help his wife. He has that mentality of, I need to do whatever I can to help her. Which, by the he's way... A doctor. The cause of death in the movie, to me, is far, far better because of that just occupational switch. Yeah, and we see in the movie, he was trying to help someone. He died because he was helping someone. Whereas in the book, I feel I I was kind of let down by that, where he was just making a turn and stupidly went. Yeah. And then got hit and killed. It happens. I mean, both of the accidents in the movie seemed like just bad luck honestly yeah but um, yes bad luck but the intention behind it in one he was trying to make a turn the other he was trying to save a life mm-hmm. more heroic it, yeah makes sense that he would go to summerland and not straight to hell <laughs> indeed um the one thing i mean as far as whatever the the whatever the the, the downfalls of the movie may be one of the biggest things for me is you you really don't get better than Robin Williams. He 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 personifies Chris. He gets into the role. He's so believable and and likable. Obviously, very missed uh, in real life, but uh, right. it's it's always good to see his gotta, face. Yeah, and you gotta just remember this is Robin Williams in his prime. All of his top billing movies are in the 90s like he just came out with patch adams like the year before this movie and it's like he he's already an a-list star um actor voice actor from aladdin like he already has so many credible roles in his repertoire that he's a respected actor he's great at comedy he's great at drama 
Yeah, also, Goodwill Hunting had already come out. Exactly. So that like literally, this is a, a prime time for Robin Williams' career. So when this movie came out, yeah, there, the acting in this film was great from everybody, even Cuba Gooding Jr., who just also was being nominated for a, a film as well. Um, Jerry Maguire came out um, just like two years before this movie, so Cuba also big in his career. So it's like these are na- no names at the time this movie came out. The acting's great. The portrayal and the depiction and adaptation from the different worlds, slightly different though. Well, I'm amazed by a couple things. It was made in 19, you know, it came out in 1998. So mm-hmm. by that sense, it was being made in like 1997 and 1996. Right. Um, what they were able to portray on screen, I actually think really looks quite well. But I also think as far as like a, a move a, a book like this, when it's about the limitless possibilities, is always going to be extremely difficult to make because now you have to actually limit it literally by, you know, the physical realm. And create a world because the book does such a great job of depicting what Summerland looks like. People flying around, animals everywhere. It's colorful, colorful. We definitely got color. And, and vibrancy in this movie and I really like that um, one of the big things that literally tripped me up was when he first enters Summerland and he's in paint and you don't expect it because you don't read a painted world within the book and it's like literally an acid trip I'm like what am I watching and and like they had to actually explain it this is Anne's world Anne is a painter she's an artist this is the world that I thought was my heaven her her artwork i'm like still but this that's a lot of paint picasso would like this movie i'm not <laughs> sure if everybody else would well I, I the fact that they pulled it off and it worked do you think yeah. it worked I, I thought it worked well enough i thought there were other aspects that worked better um in it, 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 it by way of example there was the sort of the city and, and and some people kind of flying and then we turn and we're really we're really back in the real world when he is alive when his kids are alive and that's when he introduces chess to the daughter um right. that i thought worked as a nice fun transition and and, and tying the two the real and the I can't use the word imaginary, but I, I don't know. The, the 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 real life and the afterlife. Yes, I guess I was gonna say. I'm gonna I come that, up with some other names for the <laughs> right. afterlife. I I thought it was good editing um, narration that they took, so that you can see two scenes juxtaposed and actually complement each other. Especially when Chris goes to hell and he's trying to get his wife out, and and then it cuts to the real life is when they're splitting up essentially with the divorce but then cut to hell when they're trying to get back together and like you can see where there was connection and disconnect cool makes sense in the editing and i think the editing was great visually maybe 20 years ago awesome i mean this movie did win academy award for best visual so kudos to them it did win an award although the visual effects do not age well in this movie most visual effects don't. Yeah. It was, um, it's, so it's a shame in that realm. It's actually painful to watch this movie, visually to watch this movie, because green screening, and it's not their fault, but like technology has advanced so much and so well that it actually works against them. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, you know. Um, we talk about it on our other show, Anatomy of Movie, which I assume... Part of you likes movies, so check that show out as right. well, because that's all we do is talk about movies. But 
you know, we uh, on that show in particular, we talk a lot about if you want to achieve something and have it look real, you got to have at least an attempt to shoot it as real as you can. Mm-hmm. And I think um, this was at the a lot of people were starting off visual effects and it was like, oh, we can do anything. We can do anything. And, and it's like, OK, you can, but you have to also base it in, in a grounded form first right you can that doesn't mean you should i like how they they did experiment um experiment with the painted world and it 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 goes hand in hand with aunt's character but also in the book she's not a painter so just watching it from the book to the movie it's really not necessary it's not needed you know know, um it was something for fun i thought the way they adapted the book like as far as giving it deadlines giving it more um tie-ins like when we talk about good cuba gooding jr he plays albert and yet albert turns out to be the son and he at- he finally makes an atonement with his son um over all that and I, I thought i thought the ideas were there um to make it really special mm-hmm. and i just had a question why we had to have a character switch in the movie like the son actually becomes albert where in the book albert is just a albert. friend Al- yeah albert is just a friend and and spiritual guide and i feel like the movie they tried to make a deeper connection it was like if you're just going to portray someone else who chris had a an actual respect for just appear as the son and make that connection even better be like oh son i miss you Let's make amends and atone everything instead of let me, like, it, it, it just seemed like a riddle that wasn't also necessary. Just be the son, not well, find it through a you friend. You win some and you lose. Like, he does have that line in the movie and he says, you know, I, I became Albert because you listened to nobody else in your life, which I got the spirit of. It just also wasn't necessarily portrayed as, like, that's his mantra, essentially. Right. Um but more so, what you, I think you ultimately lose out on is this idea that we all have guiding spirits. And in the book, I think that's a rather beautiful notion that obviously is explored at great length. Yeah. And, and But also, it kind of just leaves their respect from the father to the son. How much did they really love each other if it was the father through the son by proxy? It, it just felt like such an unnecessary disconnect between a character story arc. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. That's my opinion for the movie. I can't necessarily, you know, necessarily argue against that. But what I can say is that I found it interesting that Annie in the movie uh, is portrayed by Annabelle. So similar names. Uh, but she she came on because she did a read-through with Robin Williams. And uh, he said, and, and basically he convinced her. Yeah, and and good for her. If Robin, top of his career at that time, wants you to be in his film and play opposite against you, yes, you say yes. So good for her. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, any f- sort of um, final thoughts before we wrap up um, our? I did. I mean, with I'm I I've been very vocal that I didn't enjoy the the painted world. But I did like how they did visually separate the different places that they went to. From real life, it was like cold, drab, saturated. You can tell it was sad because they lo- there was a lot of loss and death in the real world compared to Summerland. Vibrant, warm colors, 
trippy, but it was still fun to watch, especially with all the dogs playing around. You know, that's always fun. Um, and then going into the depths of hell, all gray, um, fire storms, fire storms, thunderstorms, and all that. So, like, you visually got a sense of the different worlds that they accomplished. Yeah. Um, which is another note to when we talk about Albert. Albert in the book, he really goes to all depths with with Chris. In this one, they separate, and there is, uh, as they call him, a tracker. Mm-hmm. A tracker helps get Chris to um, Anne. And this is why I feel it's just another ode to Paradise Lost, because the main character had to have someone to bring him into hell. Mm-hmm. Like, in a boat, down the <laughs> river stinks. Indeed, and it was very much like so, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would say, like, uh, as we wrap things up, my my recommendation, if you at this point haven't read the book, uh, approach it. It's a very good philosophical book, and uh, it it has a lot of great imagery, as you know, in a sense, like something to look forward to. Right, and like they play with the notion of reincarnation, and they dropped hints of it here and there, but they didn't really hit you over the head or spoon feed it to you. But you do understand that because Chris and Anne are soulmates, eventually they'll keep meeting each other and re- keep being reborn, keep meeting each other in different lives and different forms until eventually when they both die, they will ultimately meet in heaven. Mm-hmm. Slowly but surely, it's kind of like catching up with each other. Indeed. There were seven realms, am I correct? <laughs> there were a lot of different realms, yes. And hell's within hell's, so that's... Like, make that as much as you want. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, um, that about does it for us. Uh, next time, like I said, uh, well, number one, you can get the rundown and kind of you know, get some more info that way. Let us know your opinion on the book, the movie, either one in the comments section. We we appreciate it. We love that you guys are sort of on this journey with us. It's, as the, the name of the network implies, it's our little book circle. Yes. It's, it's our book club. Uh, it just happens to be digital instead of in person, but that doesn't mean we can't make it personal. Uh, and we read a lot of books. That's right. And next month we will be doing the Princess Diaries. So the book. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. That's, it says Princess Diaries. <laughs> our rundown is incorrect. It is The Wonderful Princess Bride by William Goldman. That's right. Page on the movie. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the the book and the movie, um, a lot of people love this movie, but it also was and is a book, and we will mm-hmm. be reading it. So look forward to that. Um, although, I guess The Princess Diaries is also a good movie, if you like. Also great films, too, but we're covering Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Bride, Bride. See, we're not, um, we're not adverse to mistakes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you, guys, as always. On behalf of at Serafini TV for Marissa. That's right. Feel free to check her out, follow her there, interact with her, and she does a lot of great stuff. Um, speaking of books, if you love uh, When Calls the Heart, she does an after show for When Calls the Heart, which is a TV show on Lifetime. No, yeah. Hallmark. Hallmark. And I've also covered the When Calls the Heart book series. I've covered all six of them. I do love reading. There you go. And Marissa and I also do, as I mentioned earlier, Anatomy of Movie. We do that weekly Friday over on popcorntalk.com. So feel free to check that out. I encourage you. I'm at Phil Svitek. We'll see you next time for another adapted Princess Bride. Bride. 
Managing editor Jason Skomata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.